0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Talking About Podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. The Conference finals are in full force for the NBA with the Celtics and Heat tied at one game apiece. Warriors and Mavericks set the tip off for game two tonight, but we're going to talk about some of the rumors and speculation going on with the Sixers right now, and then we're going to start with the Liberty Bowlers podcast networks player season and review stuff. Um, we're Each of the podcasts is going to take turns uh, going over one of the Sixers and kind of evaluating how their season went, what the future might hold for them with the team. Um, We're going to talk about the process himself, Joel Embiid. So that'll be coming in the second half of our episode today. With me on the line, once again, is Dave Early of Liberty Ballers. Dave, how are you
0: doing? I'm good. A little bit better than when we eulogized the team. (laughs)
1: Yeah, a a week in the rear view always helps – i guess gain a little perspective and it's it's not the the emotions are not as fresh so yeah yeah we can we can talk a little more objectively about things this week than last week for sure um so the, the first thing we're going to touch on today is i'm sorry uh lost lost my sheet however here we go first thing we're going to touch on is uh the giraffe lottery which happened earlier this week um You were, you were kind of keeping tabs on this because based on how some other teams performed or not performed, but how, how the lottery balls bounced for or against them during the, uh, the the lottery night, you thought those could, that could slightly help or hurt the Sixers. Um, the days of the Philadelphia lottery parties are long past, um, now that the Sixers are, you know, perennially in the playoffs. Um, but you, you had some thoughts on how that went. Why don't you? Why don't you share those for our listeners and just kind of uh, lay out why you think th- things went pretty well for for a Philadelphia perspective?
0: Yeah, sure. So ESPN Ramona Shelburne and Brian Windhorst separately on different appearances segments both said that Daryl Morey is still star hunting, and what he'd like is for James Harden to opt out of his deal, restructure, find a way to get some money so that he's happy, maybe he's still get. Was c- still considered a max around thirty million dollars per year. But that would wrangle them up another max if they could move off Tobias Harris's salary and target a guy. Um, they didn't name names, but Winhorse did say some stuff like, "We'll know more after the draft lottery come- results come in about whether or not teams move up or not." So if a player whose contract were coming to an end were to say, "I want Philadelphia," and So if you connect the dots and you believe if you take him at his word, there's no obfuscation here. Then a guy coming to the end of his contract could be Bradley Beal, who's got a player option or set for unrestricted free agency. And a team that could move up in the lottery could be the uh, Washington Wizards. It could be the Portland Trailblazers. I guess it could be the Oklahoma City Thunder if they'd ever be willing to move on from Shea Gilgis Alexander. But, you know, all intents and purposes, it sounds like he meant Beal unless he was completely throwing us off the scent, And so the Wizards staying at 10, to me, was a good thing. I, you know, I could see interpretations in both ways here, honestly. Do you go with the youth movement, or do you trade that pick? Or do you say, hey, we could thread the needle here with a current star and a bunch of young guys? But my gut says if Beal was available, or at least we thought he might be available, them not making this major volatile change for the better is good status quo, where he might say, eh, nothing really is moving the needle for us here with that 10th pick. I guess I still want to move.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, Just to recap. So the top four went down Orlando, Oklahoma city, Houston, Sacramento. So Sacramento was the biggest mover moving up three spots. Um, Orlando and Oklahoma city moved up a little bit, but nothing too crazy. Nobody jumping from the late lottery up into the top four and, you mentioned Washington, they stayed put at 10. So, yeah, I don't think getting the 10th overall pick is really going to change the the Wizards front office perspective of, hey, we're, we're ready to compete now. Like, we, we got this number 10, 10 pick, like, we'll br- bring somebody in and that, that'll change things for us drastically. Like, you're talking about a team that won 35 games last year. I don't think having the 10th overall pick is really going to move the needle much for them. So I would agree that that would kind of portend their best, their best path is to blow things up. Um, you know, trade Beal, go, go a little more extreme with the rebuild. Um, I, I think it, it could have been a little different if they had jumped up into the top one or two, they got a blue chip guy and suddenly, oh, well, Beal can, uh, you know, kind of mentor or, with, with this new rookie that should really be able to help a lot from day one, we can, you know, get back into the playoff picture. And then from there, you can kind of transition away from the Beal era towards whoever this number one or number two pick is. But was not the case. Yeah, I agree the 10th the, the ten, the pick um, staying with Washington, I, I think, does help uh, the angle of Beal being available.
0: The other um, thing he he mentioned was he said you know that you'd have to move Tobias but he's a little bit more valuable now and then he said Tyrese Maxey is a tradable asset. Does that make that <clears throat> deal uh, not interesting to you if it would be Maxey and be- and Harris for a guy like Beal?
1: Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't trade Maxey for. It, it would have to be a real like top ten guy in the league I think, which is kind of kind of crazy to say, but given the. The youth, the upside, the contract for Maxi right now. Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't want to give up on him with his career trajectory, unless it's a, a sure thing. And I don't. I don't really view Beal as a sure thing. He's kind of. He, he's definitely. I would say past his peak. I, I still think he's kind of in his prime, but he's just starting the downslip a little bit, and the the injuries have kind of piled up in past years. He's not this elite two way player. I think where the situation has to be slightly right for him. He's not just a plug and play, and he'll make everyone better on the roster. Um, So for a guy like Maxi, who just from year one to year two made this stratospheric leap, I I just really want to see what the future holds for him. And if you're talking about stripping everything down and just saying, okay, we're going with Embiid, Harden, and Beal, do I think that's like a surefire? top team in the east i i I don't know if it is i mean that's a hard and deal backcourt is it's not really strong defensively so that's a lot on joel to kind of make up the backline of defense and and make up the mistakes for people in front of him you you wouldn't have a lot of roster depth which was kind of the problem this season um yeah if they were all healthy that that's a pretty formidable offense um so they'd certainly be in the mix it'd be interesting but you're really setting yourself up to like have to get it done in the next year or two. And the, and the future uh, would look pretty bleak as far as, you know, the assets in the cupboard. If you, you work to get rid of Maxi, who is the guy you, you, you're pretty much handing the keys to once Harden's gone. Um, and, and Maxie having the, the smaller value contract makes giving Harden, whatever contract you're going to give him next more palatable because Maxie's still playing like a, yeah, the, you know, top level starter or hopefully like an all-star level caliber player some sometime in the near future, and you, you have that on a, a rookie deal and then eventually the rookie extension, which is still a, a pretty good value for teams. Like, I, I just don't want to give up on that unless it's, unless it's a surefire guy. And I, I don't really
0: put Beal in that category. So yeah, I don't know. I think, what, what's your thoughts? I think you, you made a great argument, and I think you highlighted there's just enough uncertainty where you, you don't make a change like that. I mean, if you're not sure that the trio of Beal, Harden, you know, making a, a full seismic roster shakeup with Maxie and Harris just makes the whole thing feel pretty improbable. And I believe the team is sort of valuing Tyrese here like a franchise player almost. And so I think they would happily add Beal to their core, but I don't think that they are looking to make a, you know, what do you call it? It's a slim margins, massive blockbuster, like basically.
1: Yeah, you're really just closing your you're narrowing your window if if yeah. you trade Maxi for Beal. Like you you really have to get it done in the next year or two. Otherwise, that's going to look terrible. You have to be terrible.
0: so confident that a guy who's coming off a season-ending injury is going to be that much better than basically Maxi and Harris.
1: Yeah. Um do you, do you think there's any plausibility that they could make a Beal trade without including Maxi or is that there's no way Washington would do that?
0: Yeah, I think there is. I think um, it's a similar conversation that we had with Harden. You know, there's no way that Brooklyn would do that, right? Well, they suddenly would if all he said said was, I want to be in Philadelphia. And then you look at that, maybe that Drew Hanlon connection has Hanlon and Joel on their like workout Slack chat or is Zach Levine on that same one where they're like, yo, if if you stay where you are, you're going to be a borderline all-star, maybe an all-star a couple more times. No one will ever talk about you other than trade season and off season. Yes, you'll make more money here. You'll make a little bit less money, but what if we want two rings? Where would your name be in history? And yeah, and blah, blah, blah. And maybe someone like Beal or Levine that appeals to them. And they, uh, they say, I want to be in Philly. And then a the team would be lucky to get a package of a pick, two swaps, Harris, Matisse, the 2020, the 23rd overall pick, you know, maybe something like that just to make it better than losing him for nothing.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, if a player asks out the, the teams don't have a ton of leverage, so, right. And we just saw with the Benson situation that even if you're in a situation where you're under a contract for years to come, like players, if, if they're really willing to, to go to the mat with what they want, like teams don't have a ton of tunnel leverage in those situations so
0: and to um, that point is the article that zach levine's undergoing surgery and the sure thing feeling he's going to be a bull is not there today so
1: yeah a lot a lot of rumors with him that the knee he's having arthroscopic knee surgery so not not great um you always kind of want to keep an eye on those um those situations has
0: torn the acl in the past
1: yeah, so not a, not a clean injury history for Zach, um, unfortunately. Because when when he's been right in recent years, he he's really improved his game a lot. Definitely one of the top players in the league. But um, yeah, you, you worry about that. And yeah, if you're Chicago, the I guess you 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 have to take some calls that you might not have taken before, and and, and just kind of see what the market for him would be, and evaluate from there. So, LeVar um, Ball
0: it, was like. don't worry. He doesn't want to be the second fiddle. And I'm like, well, would he like to be the third or fourth fiddle then? (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah, We could have a nice little quartet. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Is, uh, is Levine uh, how plausible of a backup option to to like a Beal is, is Levine in your mind for the Sixers? I know, I know there was a report this week that Mark Eversley of Chicago, formerly in the Sixers organization still likes D's So I, obviously, Matisse is not a mean beast, but that's at least a, a helpful add on is like a Tobias and the kind of picks and swaps thing you just outlined. Is that, do you think that's in the ballpark for Levine or what do you think there?
0: I would put Bila's more likely just because there's been a little bit more smoke to that as of right now. Yeah. Uh, but are they both plausible? Not really plausible. These are kind of dream scenarios, I think, for the Sixers which is interesting because I hear it discussed as not at all a dream scenario. There's a lot of people, or at least a vocal minority, are bringing up how super teams have recently failed and you're better off with depth and what are you going to do? You're so top-heavy. Neither of Beal nor Levine fit a need with a core of all one-way guards around Joel that's, you know, that's likely to topple. Um, but if I could get either one of those guys in the door without parting with Maxi, to me, that's 100% no-brainer. And then I'd figure the rest out later.
1: Yeah. I mean if you can maintain Maxi, I, I think everything else is just kind of ancillary. Like th- there's nothing that it would be off the table in my mind. Um, but I, I think it's I think that's a pretty hard sell. It, it'd have to be a guy really wanting to come here. Like you outlined for for Beal, where at least there's a connection. If you wanted to come to a team that can at least advance out of the first round of the playoffs he hasn't done that in a while for washington um yeah that that would have to be the the case um it, it wouldn't be
0: it's all it's drew Hammond. it's all can he, <laughs> can he get a pure sweat philly based around uh you know so he doesn't have to go wheels up and fly all around
1: yeah i, I hope he's a little more persuasive than his uh mvp threads on twitter <laughs> <laughs>
0: <And> <laughs> when then, <he's... laughs> And then you'd also need a home for Harris because if you can't find anyone who wants Harris in the whole league, not you can't even dump him into cap space for assets, then the whole thing's moot anyway. But if you could, then you could say hey we we could open up a Max here, so you're about to lose him for nothing. We would prefer to sign and trade him, avoid a hard cap, avoid inching towards that apron. that's win win for all of us, and then we' get you some pieces that you'd like
1: yep, that's true there's there's always a way uh and I do think tobias playing well towards the end of the season and the playoffs helps that situation a lot. Like I I think you could find like a Sacramento or someone that would view him as a, as a helpful, really helpful piece. He's not, there there was a period last year where I think he was kind of viewed as a negative asset. I I do not feel like that's the case anymore. There's only two years left on his deal. That contract isn't as toxic as it was a year or two ago. Um, I I think you could, you could find a taker for him if you, if you really needed to. Um, All right. So, That was a lottery Sixers, obviously not taking part. Um, We're still waiting whether they will have the 23rd overall pick Brooklyn has until June 1st to officially announce whether they're going to take the Sixers 2022 selection or defer to 2023 reporting has been that they're more likely to defer, but still have about a week and a half to uh, make that decision. So we'll we'll see whether the Sixers have a, a first round pick this year or not. Um, but it is looking like they will. The the other kind of rumor speculation Sixers thing going on right now is uh, the head coach, Doc Rivers has maintained that he'll be back. Daryl Morey has given his seal of approval and said that Doc's our coach. He's he's we expect him to be back this next year. He's he's still under contract for three more seasons at around eight million dollars per year. But there are still the whispers like there's high level reporters connecting doc rivers to the los angeles lakers who have a vacancy doc obviously coached in la for the clippers previously in his coaching career so i'm sure he would welcome the opportunity to go back to the los angeles area um dave you wrote a piece about all the whispers and everything recently do you think that there's actually legs to this. I mean the the Sixers organization was pretty adamant from top to bottom that you know Doc's under contract, he's still going to be our coach next year. but uh, yeah, there's there is a little smoke. what What did you make of all this?
0: Yeah, I would say I'm somewhere around like eighty five percent he'll be back. I think that the Lakers would love the love the option to consider him. I think if he were suddenly available and they could magically afford him, he would probably be their top choice. Um, you know, you got Linda and, and Kurt Rambis, you got Phil Jackson and Jeannie Buss, you got LeBron. So there are a lot of voices. And I know that phrase tr- is a trigger for Sixers fans. When we had a lot of front office voices, <laughs> collaborative but, um, front office.
1: <laughs> yeah. And a, lo- a
0: lot, of people are watching that, that show. Um, on Winning ACO, time. Yeah. And yeah. And you know, you're learning like, this is a mom and pop business. This isn't like Josh Harris and and they're really, really flush. So I, I think, the Lakers are kind of low on cash, and I don't think they want to just say, "Hey, here's eight million bucks to match." Let's figure out the Russell Westbrook thing, so we even know what our pitch is to you. And I think those are the impediments for the Lakers end of things right now. Not to mention their fan base doesn't seem thrilled about the idea of landing Doc. Um, yeah. How do how do you, how do you
1: feel about a coach that historically has given up the most three-one leads? was almost on the verge of giving up a 3-0 lead that <laughs> she hasn't won in over a decade.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot of red flags. <laughs> but from their point of view, if for so many fans are worried about um, the lackey coach, the coach who's never been a coach before, who comes in and really is just there because LeBron is now the coach, Doc wouldn't be that. He has enough clout where he would push back on some things, and maybe that's a good thing so those fans go back and forth with it. Yeah. There, is the, there is that idea that maybe they, right now, if they're interviewing a lot of the same candidates, the Hornets are. So most of those candidates could say, well, look, the Hornets are offering me $3 million more. The Lakers might prefer to be in a scenario. I think it was Jake Fisher and uh, Chris Tricker talked about this first. They might like the no bidding war idea where they're the last team to have in a vacancy. And so they could save a few bucks. I think from the Sixers end, I don't think they want to fire Doc. I, If, you know, the way Woj phrased it, like they're sitting, they're talking, they're going to see if they're all aligned on the vision for the future. If you read that as, well, maybe they're going to make Doc's position a tiny bit less appealing. Maybe they're going to say, we want a little bit more front office involvement now so that if we see something like a backup big getting all of the rotation minutes, we might swoop in and say, let's try this G League player. And if things like that, if phrases like that, raise Doc's hackles and say, this isn't going to be quite what I'm used to. Um, this interplay between, you know, I, I like the separation of church and state. Daryl said publicly, you know, I basically, I, I leave the rotation card to Doc. If that's no longer the case, does it become a little bit more appealing to go take a Lakers job if the money were comparable? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. So um, I think he'll be back, but I think that's why some of the top reporters are suspicious because it's there are some scenarios where the incentives are there for people to explore other possibilities.
1: Yeah. I, I, I still maintain doc, uh, will, will return next year. I, I I'm not happy about it, but Same. I don't know it's, there's, there's just too much, uh, they were too forthright and like confident in, in the post post season. And it um, the, uh, the exit interviews and everything like that, or there are ways you could couch it and kind of leave it like a window open. And the, those that sort of phrasing wasn't really there. It, it seemed like they were pretty uh, straightforward and in, in saying he would be returning.
0: So, and Doc uh, has said, I, I did a terrific job. He's basically said that <laughs> three years in a row after, you know, he came to Philly with something to prove because he did a terrible job in the bubble and he made the same mistake in Philadelphia again, essentially with Dwight Howard, in my opinion, you know, playing him so many minutes with Ben Simmons, like sort of messing up the the analytics, not seeing the plus minuses of what he was doing all season long. And he did it again a third year. So if he's not saying, I really, really need to look at this one glaring flaw on my resume, then I don't expect him to look at it this offseason either.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Um, (laughs)
0: If he fumbles the backup big minutes this season, it'll be the fourth year in a row he's done it. So at some point, I think he wrote the article.
1: Well, he did. I mean, he did that in LA too with like the, that was the Montrose Harrell stuff, right? Yeah, that's what I'm
0: saying. It'll be the fourth year in a row. Yeah, you're
1: including that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the the doc doc saying, um, I did a terrific job. And also that no one expected anything of this team before I got here like as if he single-handedly lifted the franchise out of the muck yeah. um this
0: those, a the, second round team that you yeah
1: really really uh out on a limb with those statements doc um gee like uh those are the kind of things that really rubbed me the wrong way with him um but yeah well, we'll so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it but we we both don't expect uh, doc to be going anywhere um last last thing before we go on to our, our, our jerwell review um is there anything in the Boston Miami series that could kind of change your thinking about how the Sixers' season ended? Um, there was this conversation came up after Game One when Miami had a great second half and played well against Boston. Obviously, Boston had the the big victory in Game Two, but I think the thinking was if Miami looks really good as a team, maybe you don't feel as bad about the Sixers' second round loss to them. I don't know. I don't. I don't really feel any better regardless of how this conference final series ends up? I just wanted to ask, ask you if you had any thoughts on that.
0: Um, I guess I had been feeling like the Sixers could have been the better team if they were fully healthy, uh, and they could have beaten Miami. So I'm still kind of on the fence about that. If the Sixers are fully healthy, you had Joel from the first two, three games of the playoffs for the whole Miami series. I do think they could have won. And I still don't think that they were better than these Celtics. So I guess that's where I'm currently out with it. I think these Celtics are really, really good. And I think they're coming out of the East. And I think back to when Maury was going on the rights to Ricky after the Harden trade. And he said, like, we think there are five teams that are right there. I don't think that he meant the Celtics were even one of them. And that was as late as, you know, mid-Feb. I think it was the Heat, the Suns, the Warriors, the Sixers, and the Nets is who he meant.
1: Yeah, I mean Boston really turned things around in the second sure half of the did. season. They they figured out their defense in a big way and just became a lockdown unit. Um, so yeah, they they weren't the same team they were at the uh, the turn of the calendar year
0: for sure. It um, does it does remind you that um, it's funny that it all comes full circle. Like the Celtics said, we want to move on. Uh, we want to go much more analytics heavy. Brad Stevens loves analytics. We're going to go, Doc, we wish you well, but we would actually suggest you become more open minded to analytics. And, and now here they are going for Ime, who's working very closely with Brad Stevens um, and the Sixers had him in house. So it kind of makes the Sixers own head coaching situation feel a little bit worse.
1: Yeah, I would also suggest the doc take a closer look at analytics. Um, (laughs) Sort of the
0: Clippers. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it's almost like there's a pattern. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Um, but for me, the the second round series loss by the Sixers, it wasn't that they lost; it was just their complete lack of energy or fight or anything in those last two games. Like if they had lost close games, and it was because Embiid had been playing with like a broken down body, and they just didn't have enough on the roster without Embiid playing like an MVP, I would have said, okay, like whatever injuries are unfortunate, but that's, that's what happens. Not their year, whatever. But yeah, just the complete lack of heart in those, in those last two games. Um, I I could care less what happens in Boston, Miami. That's always going to leave a bad taste in my mouth.
0: I, I, wonder, that... I wonder if the Danny green being carried off and Joel falling like a hundred times in that game, signal to some of the other players like just make it out alive. I mean, a serious <laughs> injury right now in this game could derail your offseason, your next contract. Just get out of this game. And I wonder if there was like a little bit of a quiet domino effect to that.
1: Uh yeah, I mean, that's th- these are human beings. Um so that even if it's subconscious, that could definitely be in their mind. Um yeah, Danny, obviously you, your heart goes out to him because ACL, LCL. He's having to have major surgery at a, for a guy in his mid thirties. Like that might not be something you can come back from career-wise. Um, and he he had suddenly been playing really well again the last month or so. Uh, so that's it's a, it's really a shame how that went down. Um, and yeah, I, I guess it wouldn't you wouldn't be shocked if if that wasn't a player's mind. Um, maybe maybe not right away, but. You fall behind by like 12, 15 and, and suddenly you just don't have that, you know, we got to fight tooth and nail to get off the mat mentality that you need to turn around a situation like that it, as much. Um.
0: Yeah. What if you checked your phone half halftime? And it was like, if you get hurt with this James Harden, like if you pull a hamstring in the second half, that could cost you $200 million, man. FYI. <laughs>
1: I, th- I think he cost himself $200 million regardless. So <laughs> that, that, that wasn't the path he wanted to take to, uh, to miss out on that money. Yeah, man. Tough so, fall. yeah, tough, tough uh, times all around. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we're going to do the Joel Embiid season review. All right, so we are back. Joel Embiid, good season, <laughs> to put it mildly. He was the MVP runner-up. Um, he averaged a career high for minutes per game. He played a career-best 68 games, uh, led, led the league in scoring, the first center to do so since Shaquille O'Neal, 30.6 points per game, uh, career-high assists per game, uh, over, over four assists per game, the, the, the unfortunate reality is that his season once again ended um, kind of due to injury. He, he first had the the torn thumb, thumb ligament um, and then uh, obviously the, the broken orbital bone and had to play with the mask after missing two games, in the Miami series. So he did have the one iconic playoff moment where he hits the game winner, the game winning three in overtime of game three of the Toronto series. So really great memory for us to uh to have in the career memory banks for for one joel hans and bead there um yeah i don't know what i guess what can we really say about joel i think the the main takeaways for me were he improved his conditioning it seems like he's ta- taking uh taking care of his body more seriously than he was much earlier in his career i thought the passing was a lot better he looked uh, a lot more comfortable getting the ball out of his hands when double teams are coming um he he was shooting the ball off the dribble and kind of self self self-creation on the perimeter more than we had seen from him in the past and that that had been the point of emphasis he'd been working with drew hanlon on the last offseason um i don't know aside aside from those things what what do we really say about joel dave (laughs) he's he's the franchise right now and he he had another mvp caliber season i I don't know what what are your thoughts overall about about his season
0: yeah i mean he was ridiculous in 2018-19 i think he was a fringe mvp candidate in the first half of the year for his uh knee inflammation and then in 2020 he played a full year but he didn't look like he was in his peak form he was a little bit mopey 2020 2021 he was legit mvp candidate but he got hurt and that might have cost him the mvp and so this year i think he he improved across the board pretty much everywhere I mean, his true shooting percentage was down a tiny bit but it was the second time it was over 60 again and this time he played 17 more games so it's possible he would have tapered off a little bit if he weren't able to stay healthy down the stretch a year ago. His, you know, his vorp was like went from 3.8 to 6.5, nearly doubled it. Um, just this, this guy was just a monster. And for the first time in his career, I thought, is this guy the best player on the planet? Is he the best two way force in the game right now? And like you said, yeah, he added a few more things. I can't think how many times I saw him catch the ball, like maybe 20 feet out. Dribble twice with his left hand backing his defender up and hitting a Hezy pull up right in the guy's face from 10 feet. Cause he got all that space. Uh, and it's just like, Oh my goodness. That's what Kevin Durant does. So yeah. he added, <laughs> he added some of these finesse moves without losing the power. And I think what I started to see, I was a little bit nervous when he began the year because he was playing his first two or three games at breakneck speed. He slammed knees with, Jonas Valanciunas and was dealing with an nagging thing that Ramona at one point said was related to the off season torn meniscus. And I was like, Oh no, this is, um, but he had a couple of weeks off with COVID and he came back with a very different way to play. And so you saw a lot of these driving decelerating Euro steps and then that enabled him to finish with a layup around the hoop. So he's slowing down for his finish which is eliminating a lot of those full speed bull rush falls that cost him the knee injury on Robin Lopez in the playoffs a year ago. Remember that? Like he's catching the ball. He's running full speed. He's landing in a tangle with another big man. And if you do the, that all season long, he eliminated that stuff largely this season. There was a lot of the Jokic type finishes with just a little finger roll or a layup at the end of the play. And I was like, wow, wow. This is the first time I think that he might be the best player in the league. And this is the first time that I think he is going to age well. Like if he can continue to do this, you're not going to be able to do anything with him in his his early 30s for sure. He's not going to have to. So those changes were crucial. Obviously, it's a little bit ironic talking about it because he did get hurt. But I think those were kind of freak injuries, not the more of the lower body and back stuff that we were worried about being more predictable than a a broken face or a torn thumb on a regular, on a weird play. Yeah. Catching,
1: catching I think it was Matisse as he's like backpedaling and, and that's how the thumb injury occurred. And then
0: I think it was breaking a double between two Raptors players and his hand snagged on Birch.
1: Okay. Yeah. Just, but just like catching, catching it on somebody else, like yep. as, as you're going past, that's nothing to do with playing style or anything else. It's just one yeah. of those freak things. And then, yeah, the Siakam elbow to the face on a drive, like, what are you going to do, do about that? Um, that's just one of those things. Um, yeah. He, he, he's played, he, his playing style is a lot more methodical now you, you can tell he's kind of diagnosing things while he's out there, on the court, on the fly, not, not at the level LeBron did later in his career, but you can, you kind of see like the gears working in a similar way and that, yeah, you're right. That all will definitely help lengthen his career. Like if he's a guy where you can give him the ball on on the nail and he can face up and jab step and hit a jumper, like he'll, he'll always be able to do that. Um, so that, that, that's a weapon you have late, like in your, in your thirties. So if, if I had to nitpick one thing, I, I don't think he was the defensive force he had been in past years. And I think a lot of that was because he just had to do so much offensively, especially before Harden came. Um, but you, you saw he was still capable of elevating himself on that end of the court in, in the Toronto series, especially, which, you know, that's what players do as, as they age, like the work, the workload piles up on him and it's a long earlier season and we saw this with lebron for you know six six to eight years like he was capable of being the best defensive player on the planet because he's an athletic you know freak but he didn't really try until the playoffs and then he just switched into another gear and that's what a lot of guys do anymore because you can't go all out for 100 games. If you're you're really serious about making a long playoff run, like your body's just not going to hold up if you're, if you have that, that sort of usage and responsibility on both ends of the court. But so that's, I mean, so all that's to say, I, I totally understood why there was a slight drop off with his defensive presence, I thought, but it, uh, still, still very much the, uh, defining force for the team on that end of the court, despite all that. And yeah, just offensively, everything he did to carry the team before the Harden trade. And then just the parts he added to his game, just all, all really incredible stuff from him. Um, he still hasn't even reached his extension yet. He, the extension won't kick in until the 2023 season. So he's, he's going to be on the team through the 2027 off season is when he would become an unrestricted free agent, I believe. Uh, so glad, glad to have to not, make any decisions about Joel. He's, he's going to be here for the next half decade, um, despite what the Wall Street Journal might write. <laughs> did, did, did you catch that article, Dave, about...
0: Um, yeah, about him and being one of the highest-paid players with Harden, was it?
1: No, that was the Forbes. Um, oh, the, the Wall Street Journal article was, Joel might not be able to find success until he leaves Philadelphia. Oh, um, goodness. <laughs> just like the total... Knee jerk reaction to a, a series loss in the playoffs, like just really feeding into the uh the anxiety demons.
0: It's, it's, of people. it's one of these terrible things because it's like, what can I say where most likely I'll sound right no matter what happens? Like, yeah, you're, you can claim that you're a victory lap if they just don't win the championship, and you can yeah. say that every year they don't. Um, the, a couple other points that I wanted to add to his sort of year in review his assist percentage was higher than it ever was. His turnover percentage was lower than it ever was. And that's huge. Um, but if you had to nitpick, if you, if you wanted to look for things and he always spends an offseason when he's healthy um, working on his game, you want him to remember that fact that he could do that. Like it seemed at times, particularly when his teammates are not picking him up or not playing well, that he says, he gets that sort of old school mentality, Mamba mentality. Like I need to shoot jumpers. And so you saw some of that in the final games, like he's playing with this mask on. It's clearly affecting his, maybe his peripheral vision or sliding around his face. Um, and he's, you know, trying to do really difficult shots over double teams and taking long twos. And he can kind of play into a defense's hands in those moments where he's stranding his spot up shooters. And you you'd make the case, well, maybe he, felt they're just going to continue missing. Niang was 0 for 7 at that point. Uh, So there's some truth to that. But if you want this team to win the championship led by him, I think he's going to have to go the other way. And I think he's going to have to get back to his defensive player of the year caliber roots for next season and less of this scoring leader, uh, MVP candidate, because I do think the best path for him to win a ring is to load manage to a degree, maybe not formulaically every single, you know, back to back, but find a, some way to play 65 games instead of good gunning for 82. Cause I think that difference would be important. Get back to your defensive roots and hopefully they bring in some more offensive help where you feel you can do this because clearly last year he didn't have that luxury. Um, and that might, and then do go back to some of this stuff where you're at the nail, you're, He also deserves credit for basically learning to be a role man and doing it really, really well on the fly. He had never gotten a chance to do that at any point in his career. Harden comes in we're all wondering, you know, he's not really a vertical lob threat and oh my goodness, that that pick and roll was just lethal. So he deserves credit for continuously adapting in that way. I'd like this. I'd like to see them next year, load manage, get back to his defensive roots and continue to share the ball, continue to keep that assist percentage high and that turnover percentage low. And remember, even in tough times, even when it's all on the line, um, getting your teammates going and playing a little bit of that facilitator from that elbow area with some dribble handoffs could go a long way. Yeah, I
1: I, kind of agree. I feel like, taking some of the offensive burden on him could really help uh, the team success as a whole and, and really let him concentrate on being that defensive force. Like he's capable of being a like a top three defensive player in the, in the league. So let him kind of harness his energy on that end. And I guess it depends on whether Harden's capable of being a, a facsimile of himself or if Maxi can really continue to elevate his game to be like a, a a number one scoring option on, on the offensive unit. Um, if, if, if those guys can carry the offensive load more so than they did this past season and, and Joel can kind of take a step back on that end and still, you know, still average 20 to 25 points a game, but you know, you're not counting them to average 30 a game and, and be able to focus more on, uh, his defensive efforts. I think that might be the, the best path for team success. So yeah, I agree. Um, with those points you made. And and you're right about the role, man, which there was the, this, the storyline that he couldn't do it, which was because he's not this like above the rim leaper or whatever, but he's one of the most talented and like savant like players in the world. So the idea that he wouldn't be able to adapt his game to score when a guy is drawing two defenders and dishing to him, when he's much more open (laughs) was kind of crazy to consider like, yeah, two defenders come at James Harden. He dishes to Embiid who doesn't have a guy immediately on him. And only has to score against like a rotating help defender. Like I I think Joel would be pretty fine in that situation, but he still had to kind of learn to do that on the fly and, you know, credit to him for doing that. Um, Like his, he just never had a guy he could really play with play off of uh, in, in those kind of situations. So it wasn't
0: Harden too, for showing he could do it even without a guy who's catching the ball at 12 feet high. He's, he's a great passer.
1: Yeah, he, he certainly is. Um, yeah, we saw even, even while Harden wasn't as effective getting by defenders himself and, and scoring the basketball, uh, he was still, you know, very, very effective in that pick and roll and getting, uh, the ball out to guys along the three point line in the corners and everything. Um, Still, helped the offense a lot, even even if he wasn't the player, uh, you know, most people thought he could be to maximize his chances of uh, of a title, winning a title this year. He, he still, aside from, you know, the last two games or game six second half specifically, he 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 still helped the team in a lot of ways. Um, and that Embiid pick and roll was definitely one of them. Um, yeah, so. A lot of good areas for improvement for Joel this season, obviously, um, even w- which it's hard to do to go from being a guy who was maybe the MVP runner, uh, front runner before an injury last season and, and then to still be able to improve your game in, in a, a variety of different ways. Um, you know, that's, that, that shows the work he puts in in the offseason every year. And yeah, all the credit in the world to him. Um, and he'll be on the team for the next half decade. Barring some crazy franchise altering move, which neither of us anticipate. Um, yeah, great, great to have the most valuable Philadelphian in full time. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Philadelphia City Council. Like do do other things with your time, please. <laughs> um, but Joel, great season. I would season a review. Well done, Joel. Continue.
0: Job. <laughs> continue
1: to do more of the same going forward
0: get well from that thumb and that that eye. Yes.
1: Um yeah. Just, don't don't have any contact with anyone like physically for the next 6 to 8 weeks just just heal up. Take um, a,
0: take a long vacation with your <laughs> wife and son. Yeah.
1: Yep. Might might see them down the shore. They they often are down the shore. Is that right? Yeah, he's which As a, the true the true philadelphian that he is joel um he, like he, he, he he goes down the shore i think he i think it was wildwood or something oh no nice. he was spotted last year not um, low
0: profile there
1: yeah i don't know uh i would i'd would have to look it up i just i just remember pictures or maybe maybe it's Aval- avalon i feel like it was avalon okay. um i don't know yeah that could be completely wrong it's just what i'm remembering from from tweets that are 11 months old so <laughs> uh but yeah Joel, great, great guy. Enjoy your time with your family, um, and I wonder, I wonder what you and Drew Hanlon will cook up in the lab to come back next season even stronger. I'm um, looking yeah. looking forward to it.
0: And if, if Levine or Beal will be there too?
1: <laughs> yeah, that 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 could uh that be interesting. So we're we're gonna keep an eye on that in uh, this off season. But uh, yeah, still, we're uh, plenty of plenty of off season storylines to follow as we go. It, go through these next couple months. Um, the pod's going to be taking a, a week off next week, so you won't, you won't have the Talking About podcast in your feeds next Friday. Um, but back in two weeks, um, Dave, thank you for joining me this week. Um, where can everybody find your stuff online?
0: Uh, at David Early on Twitter. Feel free to uh, shoot me a question, and I'll try to throw it into a pod or a post.
1: All right. Thank you, Dave. Um, I'm Sean Kennedy at Philly Fast Break on Twitter and LibertyBallers.com, of course. Everybody, thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you in two weeks. Take care.